Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me a top Hamptons broker and also a developer, Zach Tunick. Hey, Zach, how are you today? Hey, John. So good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's great having you on the program. Uh, Zach, before we talk about the Hamptons market, let's talk a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? John, I grew up in New York City. And um, wow. yeah, I, I actually lived all over the city. Um, but I started in Greenwich Village. Okay. And then, uh, so uh, so from how did you get from Greenwich Village to the Hamptons? Well, um, so again, lived all over the city. I went to high school in Westchester, but my father had clients that had uh, home, homes in the Hamptons. And we started in Hampton Bays. And one client in particular he had a lovely houseboat and little speedboat. And we used to go on weekends. It was a great escape from the city to go to Hampton Bays and see the natural beauty of the Hamptons and be out on the waterways. It was really a treat for us to get out of the city. Wow. So you, you've seen uh, the changes take place. I mean, how was it when you were coming out? I guess you were, as, you know, I don't know how old you were at the time, but. Uh, well, this was the in the 70s. So I was very young, so it's hard to, but I do remember certain things. I'll tell you one thing that's still there, which I think about all the time, is the movie theater in West Hampton, sorry, in uh, in Hampton Bays. My father used to take me to that same movie theater in Hampton Bays in the 70s. Wow. And it's still there. I know where you're talking about. That's interesting. I didn't know it was around that long. I thought it was something, you know, because the, uh, the movie theater there. It's it's like in a mall kind, not Correct. a mall, but you know, like a, yeah, a, a little a little shopping, a little strip little shopping mall, center. yes, but same exactly. location. Wow. Okay. Um. So besides uh, being in real estate, you're also a developer. I and I recall you bought a farmhouse on New York. Uh, well, actually, on a major highway, but it was waterfront, and you built a uh, beautiful house and and sold it. Did you have any trepidation? in buying the farmhouse? And were there any naysayers along the way um, about developing it because it was on you know, a highway? Well, Nicole and I fell in love with that house. We saw that the first time we were looking <clears throat> for a client. And we had several clients look at it and were quite interested, but they passed. And you know, Nicole and I both share a love for older homes. Actually, I grew up in a house that was as old or older than the country. And my family had a few like that around one in Charleston uh, and one upstate. And so I had a passion for old homes and I wanted to preserve history. And we knew one way or another, we really wanted to get this house. Uh, The original um, project was supposed to be to just renovate the existing home, but not make it so much bigger uh, to preserve history. And when we got into it, it really needed everything. And we took it to another level. There wasn't really anything left, but we did preserve the facade and the history somewhat, I think. And it um, it looks, in my opinion, amazing. And I'm, I'm really proud that I could preserve history somewhat and make a beautiful home. As far as naysayers, yes, people thought, 
what do you do in building such a big house and so expensive a house on that road? But I still think it's quite unique. Um, we, were, we were waterfront, had two docks and a lot of room to expand, um, perhaps a tennis court. Um, so I never thought we'd lose any money. And it became a, a project of passion, not just a quick return of money. It actually took a long time. I don't know if I'll ever want to go through that process again because of the architectural review board and uh, waterfront and wetlands and all that is quite a process. But Honors. there were, there were naysayers. Uh, I was confident that we'd always do okay. It turned out fine. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah. And it was a beautiful house. I mean, uh, and you had the views. That was the other thing. Uh, I know that you've focused everything towards the water. So I think that was great. Uh, you have a great sense about you, you know, to do that kind of. Thank you, John. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Nicole, and I just don't I just want to point out that uh, you work with your wife, Nicole, and she's a partner with you. So I just have a silly question to ask, uh, uh, but she's not here to answer it. So I would have asked Nicole if she ever gets tired of seeing you day and night. Oh, what do absolutely. You think she <laughs> absolutely. I never get tired. What do you of think seeing... she would? What, what do you think she would have said? I think that she gets a little tired seeing me day and night, and she doesn't. She probably would like a little more separation, not as much as we used to have. Nicole was in fashion uh, for 25 years and she would work three days a week in the city. We'd be apart, you know, each week, which was nice uh, somewhat to be able to do your own thing. But I'm happier now with her with me 24 seven. I like it. That's great. That is really wonderful. And you've got kids too, right? No, unfortunately, John, we do not. We love children. We chose not to have any kids. No, our kids are, our animals, um, which we don't have any at the time, but we we rescue cats and we treat them like children. It's uh, a little right. pathetic that way, but you know we're big animal lovers. I've had pets, and then I've had a child, and uh, I'll take the child because the pets sometimes can be. Uh, uh, besides, you know, you get really attached to, to pets. I mean, it's a, it's amazing. Um, let me uh, ask you, what prompted you to segue into real estate then? Well. John, I was I was always in real estate in one form of another, my, pretty much my whole life. For 40 years um, between construction and, and development and, and brokerage, starting with construction. So, and then about 22 years ago, developing. And then shortly thereafter, uh, got my license as an agent and then a full broker and started my own firm. So, it was always one form of real estate or another. What do you find gratifying about real estate? Well, sales uh, as a broker or developing or all the above? Well, I would say in in, uh, sales. Yes. So, well, I I still get to see beautiful homes and look, you get the freedom of of being an agent or a broker. But just as far as the actual brokerage side of it, I'm very passionate about homes and architecture. But the other thing that's very gratifying is that you make a new customer happy when they find their dream home. Yeah, it's also terrific a- to sit on the same side of the table, the same side of the table with the customer. If you're building a house for someone else, um, there's a little give and take and you're not necessarily aligned um, if you are building for someone else as opposed to being on their side, their representative. Um, and there's another, let's say, a builder who built a house as a spec. It's the brokerage and the, and the buyer on one side, the builder on the other, perhaps. 
So you're aligned with your buyer. And I think that is a better way to be. Right, right. I understand that. Um, you're a top producer. What traits do you uh, do you attribute to your success? Well, thank you for recognizing me like that. It's uh, it's, uh, it's true. It's, it's flattering. I appreciate that. Um, listen, I, I, I think that I was always a driven person to, if there's something in life that I wanted, I'd focus on it and find a way to get it. But I think persistence, um, you know, and consistency and drive, um, knowledge and experience and, and um, focus, you know, all of that, find your goal um, and just work towards it every day. I think that will help you achieve whatever it is you want in life. You can have anything you want if you work, if you want it bad enough and work hard at it. Sure. So true. So true. Um, what kind of advice would you give uh, to someone who was thinking about becoming an agent? <clears throat> well, here's the thing. I think it's hard to start in this business unless you do a couple things. One is, I think that it's good to have a cushion. If you're going to leave another business or profession to be an agent, you better have a cushion of money because it takes a while before you make a sale. So if it's a two income household and one party is going to start this new career, I think that's very helpful, right? To put food on the table and a roof over your head while you're transitioning. I think another thing is to align yourself with a team or, you know, or, or a top broker so that you can learn from the best and also feed off of that. I think they have a lot of extra um, leads in business that can help jumpstart you. Plus you can learn from someone as opposed to figuring it out on your own. They'll give you tremendous exposure too with their advertising budget. I think it's very beneficial if you're starting out. I think that's the best way to grow quick is go with someone or, you know, a top producer or top team to help jumpstart your business. Great, great advice again. Uh, did you have any mentors along the way that gave you advice that you still employ today? You know, John, I, I probably uh, I, I probably looked up to a lot of different people, but no one in particular as a mentor for real estate. You know, like I said, there's pl plenty of people I looked up to, including my father, but there wasn't really a mentor in real estate that helped uh, jumpstart this business. Got it. Okay. So let's talk about the Hamptons market. Um, Thanksgiving is uh, is coming up this week and we're heading into the holiday season also. Normally, this uh, is a time of year when it starts to slow down. Do you think the market is cooling or do you think it's just slowing down because of the holiday season approaching? Yeah, I, I think it's, we're going to have the same slowdown that we'd always have once you start getting into the season of holidays and colder weather and less people out here. Um, I, do, I don't think we're going to have as you know, more activity than we had in the last couple of years, but I don't see it cooling down tremendously. So there's different things. There's prices of homes, which have been, in my opinion, around the same. Um, and then there's also uh, transactions. From our own personal experience, we're transacting quite often and similar to last year. Our numbers overall are much higher, but that's due to um, a lot of things that maybe didn't close last year that jump-started us. But every year you have a certain amount of carryover. But to answer the question, I think that we're going to pretty much maintain our market. There's there's definitely not going to be um, a, a crash out here. Um, I, I think that we're going to have slight gains going forward. And we will have our, our same kind of a slowdown that we have on the off-season. 
I agree with that. Um, how do you see uh, inventory? Yeah, inventory is tough. We have very little inventory in all price ranges, um, especially the new construction. We used to have pre-COVID so much beautiful new construction on the market. And with all that inventory, there might have been a little bit more room to negotiate, especially with a developer. When you're buying a new product from a developer, he has to carry that every single day till he sells. And that comes into play and he wants to start his next project. Um, when you're buying from a homeowner that has his house priced at a what would be considered a top dollar, maybe they don't have to sell, but they would sell if they hit that number. Um, so with with inventory so low, that's going to keep the prices high. I think maybe over the next 12 months, we might increase our inventory with all the new construction that's happening. And with what we're talking about, maybe a little bit of a cool down as far as sales. I think uh, buyers are going to start thinking that there is some great discount coming, but it's not. I think sellers are going to keep wanting to hold their number for a variety of reasons. One is they love their home. They can rent their home and carry it that way. And that they have confidence in the market out here. So I don't think anyone's dropping their draws. Um, on their homes. And that might slow down the number of sales, but it's not going to reduce the the sale prices much, if at all. I, I predict slight gains. Right. So that, that's your prediction in, in 10 minutes for uh, 2023? 10 yes. seconds, I mean? Yeah. Okay. 2023, <laughs> I think we're going to be either right where we are today or slight gains. Definitely no extreme discount. I get a lot of people asking me, or, or telling me that they're going to wait. I said, what are you waiting for? Waiting for interest rates to go up and prices to come down? Well, uh, the prices are not going to come down as, as much as the interest rates are going up. Um, right. If someone had some more, I'm sorry to interrupt you, uh, mm -hmm. Zach, but if somebody had more questions, how could they reach you? Oh, you can call me on my cell phone at any time at 917-757-3534 or email me at zachary.tunic, T-U-N-I-C-K, at element.com. Zach Tunick, thank you so much for sharing your insights. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting in the pulsating village of Southampton on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3. Please stay right where you are since we'll be right back after the short break with real estate economist, Greg Heim. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have the chief economist for Terra Holdings, Greg Heim. Hey, Greg, how are you today? I'm doing well, John. How about yourself? Same way, same way. You know, as long as we're uh, vertical and not horizontal, I think it's all good. So <laughs> before we talk about economics of uh, real estate here and in Manhattan, let's talk about you. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Valley Stream, uh, Long Island, uh, across the street from the Green Acres Mall, which was actually a great place to to grow up. A lot of kids around, a lot of things to do, a lot of fun in that mall. Um, so it was it's famous for for a handful of actors uh, and me, I guess. But it is a great town. Uh, New York Times still has as one of the best places in America to live. So is that right, Valley actually, Valley Stream. I actually graduated from the same high school as my mother, albeit 30 years later. But uh, Wow. 
That is great. So, uh, and you graduate, uh, did you go on to, obviously to be an economist, you have to go to college, right? Yeah, well, sometimes. Um, I Yeah, I got a, a pep band scholarship to St. John's, actually a scholarship to play trumpet at basketball games. It was a lot of fun. Uh, economics was just a process of elimination. Uh, you know, you, I'm in business school, you start crossing things off, like marketing, management, accounting. So it left econ, finance, and quantitative analysis. And uh, the, the three professors that really made me want to be an economist, last time I checked, we're all still at St. John's over 30 years later. So I have to credit Dr. Beekner, uh, Dr. Clark, and Dr. Manjovi, if they're listening, uh, for uh, making me sure of my decision. Well, now, were they mentors to, to you? No, I, I think I learned a lot, particularly from Dr. Beekner, who, who I, I was conflicted. I was going to change uh, to quantitative analysis, and then I took my first uh, major level class. And he showed me a practical side to economics, that it wasn't all math and, and boring papers that nobody ever wants to read, that, that you could be succinct and, and, and have people you know grasp concepts. And I realized that that is the true talent in, in econ. It's not about the math. Uh, we don't do math. The computers do the math. It's it's really about saying something intelligent about the data and, and giving people actionable advice. That's the key to staying employed. But I actually went to grad school to become an accountant because I graduated college in 92 and I, I was working for the government, wasn't very happy there. Uh, so somebody encouraged me to go get an MBA in accounting. I accounting was easy, but I, I hated it, and I just got the MBA in finance. Uh, hasn't been very useful, but it looks nice on the wall, I guess. Okay, <laughs> you know it's, it's interesting that uh, at one point in my uh, uh, life, I actually studied accounting and realized that I really didn't enjoy it. I don't know who does. No, I'm just kidding. I. It's well, with that, we need accountants if we don't have them. You do, and that, that that was the whole point. Like, not every company has an economist, but every company needs an account. That was my <laughs> thinking going back to grad school. <laughs> good, good thinking. <laughs> so, okay, so you have a passion for economics. I know you have another passion, and that's playing the guitar. And you have a band. How did that all come about? Well, it's a long story, but I, I've always been a guitar we got, player. We got a. We got the. At least uh, <laughs> I, you know, as a musician, I missed performing. I did it all throughout public school, high school, and obviously in college. And uh, one night I met some musicians at a local like Italian slash pizza place. And we got to know them and started going there regularly. And then one day the, the guy said, you play guitar, right? I said, yeah, he goes, we'll bring it next week. So I had to put my money where my mouth was. And uh, they they were more of a jazz thing, you know, a duo. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get to to know that music better and to learn how to play because I'm a rock guy. So they recommended this guy named Mark Marino to be my guitar teacher who actually lives like six minutes from my house, which works out nice. So I've been studying with him for three years. And then I, I go to a lot of these Sunday jams or any place where my teacher or friends are playing and I sit in. And then uh, this couple, Cheryl and David Haber, were looking for a guitar player to kind of rock up their music a little bit. And the rock guys typically can't play jazz and the jazz guys refuse to play rock. So I'm just dangerous enough, both ends. So it's me, a keyboard player, and, and uh, Cheryl and David. 
And, you know, we do the restaurant circuit and uh, a mixture of, of jazz, some standards, some show tunes and rock. And it's it's great to be performing again. I actually do my own gigs now once a month with a buddy of mine. So it's taken off faster than I thought. And it's a great outlet during COVID. It kept me sane to keep practicing, you know, something you do by yourself indoors. Well, it was perfect. So being an economist, you get to be expressive and you get to be creative. But this works a whole different part of my brain. So it's, it's really cool. Do the, does the audience or anybody that uh, comes to see you, do they realize that you're an economist? I don't really brag about it all that much. Uh, maybe if I make a mistake, because, you know, a lot of these people are professional. I'm really an economist. That's why I flipped that, that, that note. You know, I look it, Music and economics go together. Mick Jagger went to the London School of Economics for what the time. Well, I mean, that's right. Yeah it's, yeah, it's so who knows? You know, it's yeah, everybody needs a hobby, and music is a great one. I, if if you've never taken up an instrument or haven't played in a while, it's the best thing for you. So true. It's so true. I have a musical background. So, anyway, um, let's talk about the Fed and how it's affecting real estate. Uh, Powell recently raised rates seventy five uh, basis points. Some of my uh, Wall Street clients thought that. That wasn't the right move. What are your thoughts? Well, Wall Street never wants rates to go up. That, that's, that's the first thing. They, they want them nice and low so people keep buying stocks. Look, I, at this point, there's no choice. Uh, I write a blog every week called The Line. And, and for the better part of the year, uh, or most of last year, I was warning the Fed. I doubt uh, Jay Powell reads my blog, but that they were screwing up and they were waiting too long and then they were going to have to then basically have to cause a recession because that was the only way you'd get rid of inflation. And this isn't new. Paul Volcker did this in the early 80s. Um, the difference is Paul Volcker was cleaning up somebody else's mess. Now uh, Jerome Powell has to clean up his own mess. And they can't worry now about tipping the economy in recession. Um, inflation is the greatest evil. And I use this analogy probably too much, but it's like termites in a house. If you ignore them for too long, they're going to destroy your house. You know, you're going to have to gut your house and rebuild it. And that, that's that's the way inflation is. By the time you realize you have runaway inflation, you, you know, it's going to take the better part of a year or more to get it under control. And you're going to have to be very aggressive. So at this point, they don't have a choice. Uh, they kind of it shows you how moody the stock market is. It kind of hinted that maybe they won't raise. They've done four straight. 75 basis point hikes. They said, well, maybe we won't do so much next time. And then stocks took off. And then Jerome Powell had his press conference and said, well, don't even think about us cutting rates because we don't want to hear that. And then the, the Dow tanked again. So it, it, nobody wants this. It's certainly bad for real estate. And obviously, uh, any people having to borrow money since real wages are actually shrinking by more than 3%, annually because prices are rising over eight versus um five percent wage gains so that that with people having to borrow money including the government it's a bad time for rates to be going up on anything yeah do you think uh powell and the fed board will uh, be able to handle get a handle on uh the I, you will eventually i mean if you keep raising you just rates, keep raising the rates and and basically the the sole purpose of that is to slow an overheated economy and the GDP numbers were positive in the third quarter after first half of, of negative growth. Uh, but we're not in a recession yet. We probably will have one some point next year. I think it will be brief. Uh, I think once. I say, Fed, to interrupt you for a second, do you yeah. think uh, we'll, 
will go into stagflation or just you think it's just going no, to be I mean, stagflation, the, the missing piece of that, I mean, stagflation, you have to have three things. One is rising prices. We have that. Two is an economy that's not really growing. And you know, the growth was decent in the third quarter, but certainly for the year, it's not going to be a great year of growth. So you can check that box. But the missing piece is elevated unemployment. We don't have that. You know, we're, we're dealing still near a 50-year low on, in, in the unemployment rate. And it's a labor market that's kept economists like myself and many others from calling this a recession. You cannot have a recession when your unemployment rate is below four. You have over 11 million available jobs out there, which is almost two jobs for every worker. And you're adding over, you know, about a quarter of a million jobs a month, even the last couple of months. You can't call that a recession just yet. Yeah. Okay. Is the uh, 7% mortgage rate uh, having any effect on the Manhattan market and the surrounding boroughs? Yeah, I, I think it affects everybody. I mean, even in an area like Manhattan, where cash, all cash buyers are are certainly uh, very popular, particularly with co-ops that, that may require it, it, it limits purchasing power for everybody. And even the all cash buyer is going to want a discount. Because their argument is going to be, well, I have cash. Yes, that's true. But how many other buyers do you have? And I, I think that we we have to remember, too, that the Fed hikes don't have a direct impact on mortgage rates. It's not a one-for-one one thing. Mortgage rates don't go up 75 basis points because the Fed raises short-term term rates uh, 75 basis points. Hopefully, as the Fed gets inflation more into control in the next couple of months, you start to see mortgage rates come down again. But just remember, you know, two things. One, uh, the average 30-year mortgage rate over the last half century is almost 8%. And we had a housing bubble in 2006, 2007, when rates were sitting at six and a half, six and three quarters. So uh, a rate of 7% doesn't by itself mean that the housing market is in trouble. The problem is that areas most areas of the country don't have a lot of inventory, so a great run-up in prices, and now have become very unaffordable for people. Manhattan kind of has one benefit in that it had a decent amount of inventory, so prices didn't rise out of control. So we're, we're seeing a market right now in a lot of places that looks a lot like pre-COVID, and that's not good. Like a lot of things you want to have pre-COVID levels, like tourism and people coming back to work, but... When it comes to real estate and stocks, you don't want pre-COVID levels. You want COVID levels and after COVID because it's a, it's a big change. But when the rates, mortgage rate goes up, and you know, more than doubles in less than a year, that's going to have a significant impact because it's really going to affect buyers' confidence and, and it's going to make it very difficult for sellers. Right. Um, I know economists don't like to give predict predictions, but... Uh... If, do you have any uh, predictions for 2023? Well, I think you're going to continue to see markets adjust to this new normal of interest rates. And again, it, I think they'll they'll come down from seven. But I, I you know, we're not, the days of rates that start with twos and threes and fours are, are we're not going to see those again for a while. I and mean, it's always a possibility to refinance down the road. But I think the key thing is there will be activity because. Sellers and buyers need time to get on the right page and price adjustments. Sorry to, to interrupt you, uh, Greg. Um, you'll have to come back on. You'll be back on in the spring because we're going to be wrapping this up. But Greg Heim, Chief Economist at Terra Holdings, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting here in the vibrant village of Southampton, New York. 
on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to me at john.christopher at sir.com. And if you'd like to hear this or any other podcast, please go to WLIW.org slash radio slash real life. By the way, Thanksgiving is this weekend. Also, we're wrapping up our 11th year of real life. We'll be back in the spring, God willing. And in the meantime, I'd like to give thanks to the people here at the station that have given me support and encouragement, especially station manager, Diane Michelli, my producer, Delaney Hafner, and engineer, Kyle Lynch. And last but not least, you, the listeners, thank you so much again for listening and have a wonderful holiday and a great new year. And don't forget, be sure to have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM, Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio.